Support for the show comes from Indeed. If you need to hire, you may need Indeed. Indeed is a matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Listeners of this show can get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and say you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me. And we've got just one episode left in succession. That's the great HBO series. Why am I telling you this? Of course you know what it is. It started in 2018. I have never done a succession episode that I can think of. So let's fix that with the help of Marissa Marr, a longtime media business reporter who's been consulting on the show from the very beginning. She's tasked with making the Waystar Royco of it all authentic and believable. Welcome, Marissa. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. I have wanted to talk to you about this since the very first episode when I saw your name in the credits, because I know you. You're a longtime Wall Street Journal reporter and editor. You wrote one of my favorite stories of all time, Boss Zilla. It's about Scott Rudin. Everyone should go look that one up. It's from 2005 or 2006. Okay, so I've given a, a, a bit of your bio. Can, can you explain what you were doing prior to working on Succession and, and how you got this gig? I was a media reporter and bureau chief at the Wall Street Journal. Um, in I was based in Los Angeles and in New York. I joined the newspaper pre-Murdoch and left it post-Murdoch. Uh, Rupert Murdoch is the owner of the Wall Street Journal. He wasn't always that way. It was owned by a family that kind of resembles the Pierces. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, um, previous to that, I was a corporate reporter at Reuters. And uh, I had moved from, relocated from New York to London and um, had taken actually a sabbatical from the journal and was thinking about what I wanted to do. And Jesse, the showrunner and uh, creator of Succession, Jesse Armstrong, Armstrong. he was working with two of the executive producers, Adam McKay and Kevin Messick, on a pilot for the show. And uh, via a friend and former colleague, John Carreyrou, um, they reached out to find out whether um, he had any ideas for a media expert that could help them with the media business core of the pilot. And uh, I was put in touch with Jesse, and it just happened that I had recently arrived in London, and Jesse was also London-based, and so it was perfect, and we went from there. So John Carreyrou, the guy who brought down Theranos, is is the guy who also got you into succession. Um, that should also go on his on his LinkedIn. So what was what was the thing they wanted you to do initially? What was the task that they had in mind for you when you met Jesse Armstrong? It was, they needed a, um, Jesse had written a, a television screenplay on the Murdochs originally, and then that morphed into a TV, a possible fictional TV series uh, about a media mogul. And they wanted someone for, to help him build the business spine of, first of all, the pilot. At that point, it hadn't been greenlit. And they needed someone to sort of help him talk through for the pilot, you know, what this person would be like and what the business environment would be that he existed in 
and then to sort of talk about what directions the business storyline could go in. This is really fascinating to me. So I, I've talked to other folks who've, who've, who've been consultants on shows, and generally it's the person who's making the show knows what they want to do, and they've got an idea, and they're bringing in outside experts to say, does this sound right? How would this work? Was was that the case here? I mean, he's already done a, a, an entire show about the Murdochs. You would think he'd have a pretty good sense of that world. What, what did he need your help with? Uh, well, he is obviously an absolutely brilliant writer and super smart and sort of understands the world and is very widely read. But he needed help sort of piecing together the sort of business world. He hadn't worked in the American business world. Um, and while he is super smart um, and had read a lot about it, he needed, he, just, he needed some help understanding how that world worked. I mean, very technical, so in terms of technical issues, you know, how, do, how does M&A work? How does a, a deal, how, how, you know, what happens when, when um, uh, a media company does a deal? Uh, so it would be everything from that to, you know, the lives of these media moguls and, and how they operate within their business empires. Um, so it was a little more sort of front end um, based in that um, I would, so for each season and also for the pilot, I would sort of come up with lots of ideas for directions that the business storyline could go in and what is realistic. Because one thing that Jesse is very focused on is the show being as realistic as possible. It can't be totally realistic because it is fiction, but being as realistic as possible. So he just, he wanted lots of examples. It's a very, re I mean, we did reams and reams of research for the show. And he, um, it, he just wanted sort of ideas of things that had happened in the media world um, that he hadn't necessarily read about. And so are you pitching him, I think it'd be cool if in this season or this episode, Logan Roy did this, or is he saying, I want Logan Roy to buy a company? What would be a company that a Waystar or Royco would buy? He has, uh, you know, he obviously has his own ideas of the direction he wants the business story to go in. Um, and so it would be, it would be, you know, it would be both those things, actually. When, when I uh, sort of approaching it, each season, pre-season, there would be sort of it would be more sort of blue sky, um, brainstorming. What can we do? The, we could go in this direction, this direction, or this direction. Um, he says, okay, if we went in that direction, I like that direction. You know, what happens if we go in that direction? What are the implications? And then he obviously decides what's in each episode. Um, but he'll say, look, in this episode, I like something like this to happen. What could we do? Again, brainstorming ideas around that episode and the various options of what could happen in that scenario. How many times did you find yourself saying, oh, no, that that would not work. That's not plausible. He wouldn't do that. Occasionally, I would say um, uh, we, um, you know, often we would have a lot of a lot of different strands of stories bumping up against each mm -hmm. other. You know, take season three. We had the Gojo negotiations. We had the. DOJ investigation, we had the proxy battle settlement. And, you know, sometimes they'd want to sort of push one side of that, and it didn't work with some other part of the business storyline. So I would say, look, you can't do that because of because of this over here. Mm -hmm. 
but they had lots of fantastic ideas as well. You know, we were quite challenged with the timeline, obviously, um, because there's a lot packed into the episode, but the episode doesn't cover a very, an enormously long period. Oh, sorry, each season doesn't cover an enormously long period. So sort of as drama writers, they wanted to pack in as much as possible. But, you know, M&A doesn't obviously unravel at that speed very right. often. It sort of wanders and blows hot and cold. And uh, that was right. Even when it happens very quickly, it's still drawn out. And even when they like, I remember when Rupert Murdoch uh, bought MySpace, he did it over a weekend. Um, but that was almost unheard of. Yeah, and even then, when he has a deal to do it, the deal doesn't go through for some period of time. It, it, everything takes much longer. It'd be it'd be excruciating to watch it in real time and on TV. Exactly. Um, when when fidelity goes up against drama. Is it drama wins out every time? Excellent. It's an excellent question. Jesse does want it to be as realistic as possible. And you know, the, there were times when I'd go into the writer's room and say, um, they'd, they'd say, look, we've been thinking about this idea. Is this something that's absolutely impossible? Or is, it, is there a scenario where it might just be possible? And if I sort of if I said impossible, then he wouldn't do it. But if it, if he, if I said yes, if this, this and this happened, it's just about possible, then sometimes he would serve, he would he would do it for dramatic reasons. So for example, in episode, episode five in Norway, um, which is a great episode, um, strictly speaking, a culture check-in or a kill list doesn't happen until after signing of a deal. Um, but there were sort of there were certain things that had happened that meant that we weren't in the sort of usual space for a deal. Uh, Logan had died, and uh, Matson was bonkers, and so you had you had all of these. The, you had a different scenario, so it was just about possible that someone like Matson would do something unorthodox, and you know, and do something that was meant to happen after the deal was signed. Before the deal was signed, Elon Elon Musk gave you a lot of a lot of uh, freedom to do a lot of weird things this season. I'm imagining since Matson is a Musk like figure, and and Elon Musk is someone who agrees to buy Twitter for forty four billion dollars more or less on a whim, and then spends months trying to get out of it. So a lot of traditional business rules don't apply to him. So I'm assuming you guys feel like you have that same latitude. Right. So over the course of the sort of six years of the show, that the the rules changed. What six years ago you thought would be absolutely impossible for a CEO to do suddenly became possible. So yes, that gave us greater latitude, but also presented challenges because you've got this enormous drama happening in the real world and you're trying to write, you know, exciting, you know, fiction and it makes it more challenging. There's a great Financial Times piece from maybe a year ago where they diligently try to piece together Waystar Royko's uh, valuation, ownership, composition of the board, and they are earnestly like dissecting line by line of dialogue, also pulling screen grabs of fake Bloomberg terminal screens where they're looking at the Waystar Royko stock and trying to figure out if it's traded on the New York Stock Exchange. They kind of give up at the end, but they also spend enough time on it to, to demonstrate that you guys are spending an enormous amount of time trying to make all this stuff real, even though most viewers will never 
pick up on any of it. And a lot of it, I guess, is just off screen entirely. That's all you, right? And and I guess other consultants as well. Um, the art was was um, the 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 sort of deal art and the sort of company was was um, me. I remember uh, um, Jesse loves detail, and he believes that you don't need to hold the audience's hand and explain absolutely everything to them, and that you can dip in and out. So long as they get the, the general audience gets the overall sentiment of what's happening. For example, at the end of season three, you have the um, the final twist where the kids are going to uh, use their veto to, to a change of control via the holding company. Sorry, this is a bit complicated. It's just for um, succession uh, super fans. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Tom tips him off that the kids are going to come and uh, you know inter intervene, and he um, outmaneuvers them by doing the deal with Caroline um, to renegotiate a clause in the divorce settlement because this veto of con- of control came from the divorce settlement between Logan and Caroline. Now that is quite complicated a mechanism, and it's not explained in any, you know, at all, um, it really does dip in and out. But the general audience gets that the kids have been double-crossed by Logan and Caroline, and they get that Shiv has been double-crossed by Tom. And the experts will understand the more sort of technical scenario Mm -hmm. to that, the bankers or lawyers. Um, And that's how Jesse likes to do it so he's not always explaining so um i i did read the ft piece and um uh because we do actually create the whole universe for waystar so again pre-season and this was actually one of the more fun things i did was creating a universe for waystar so what were the what businesses was it in what did the management look like what was the board um, what was the share structure? Who were the shareholders? How much everyone owned? And also, you know, creating layers above that of um, a holding company, a trust, um, and, you know, making it fairly complicated, as some media companies are, to sort of create dramatic opportunity. And the purpose of doing all that work to put together those dotted lines and the boxes and all of that, given that a lot of it will never, ever show up in any form was that surprising to you that the the i mean again you've been in uh, you've been reporting on hollywood forever you've got a very good sense of how how the sausage is made were you surprised that they were spending so much time creating a fictional world that that would not make it on screen no because they need a framework to to operate in so even Mm -hmm. though they're dipping in and out what they dip in and out of has to be has to be real um and you know uh, I mean, the writers weren't sort of looking at the outstanding shares and saying, "Okay, we've got that many outstanding shares. And so this is the percentage change of the of the stock. But they they understood the general framework and everyone had that general framework, uh, which I sort of would update before each season. And I think that was that was important. So we didn't we didn't stray off course because it is a very complex storyline and it's very easy to stray off course. And you need to sort of keep on top of that by understanding what parameters you're working within. We'll be right back after a word from a sponsor. Support for this show comes from Indeed. 
Imagine the perfect employee. Let's call her Jackie. Jackie is professional yet relaxed, punctual, friendly, meets deadlines, and just makes your job easier overall. But the search for Jackie can be long and tedious, especially when you have so many other things on your plate. Indeed wants to help you find your next Jackie. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. They leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. So their matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. That means they can better connect you with your Jackie. And listeners of this show can get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and say you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we're back. I think I may have told you this, but I got a very, very high praise for this show. I, I talked to someone, maybe the second, so whenever the Bore on the Floor episode had come out, I talked to someone in Murdoch world and said, well, what do you think of this show? And they said, whoever is working with them has really good info because obviously Rupert Murdoch did not make people scavenge on the floor for, for sausages, but the family did go to some boar hunting or whatever hunting trip to Romania or some, some godforsaken place. And that was never reported on. So someone knows their business. So that that is praise directed to you. How much, and obviously he started the book, he started the show with Murdoch's. There's a lot of Sumner Redstone and his family in there. We had James Stewart on the show a few weeks ago. He's got a book out about Redstone. There's a lot of parallels there. Is it Murdoch and Redstone are the main the main sources for this composite? For I the, think for the Roy a, family? It's in a, it's, um, I mean, Jesse has always said it's an amalgam, mm -hmm. uh, but you know, I, I had covered Sumner, and so you know, I had a lot of stories from from his world. I think there's also a bit of even people like Robert Maxwell, Conrad Black, you know, pretty broad broad range. You know, taking these are publishing tycoons uh, who weren't in the U.S. for the most part. Yes, yeah. um, but the, but you know because. I had covered Sumner and, and Jesse knew a lot about the Murdochs. Um, and I'd worked, obviously, for Murdoch. There is a lot of them in that. Do you find other moguls and, and people in that world saying, oh, I see what she did there. You're talking about me or my boss. And you say, actually, I, I wasn't. Or actually, I was. I didn't know that you figured that out. What kind of feedback do you get from, from big mogul world? We actually, for the most part, um, Jesse tried to sort of tune that out quite a lot because you know he didn't sort of want that in his, in, in in his head and of course you know it's it's unclear whether any of the murdochs have actually watched it um jerry i, I heard that jerry hall was supposed to be a fan but look what happened to her yeah um, don't, don't 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 acknowledge that in public you get you get excommunicated um and uh, but I think that you get a lot of oh that scene was I, I know that's you you reported you must have reported that scene in particular because um, that's what actually happened in my company. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, for the most part, we it was you know we've all very well read. We all 
read all the newspapers, read all the biographies, all the books. So, you know, it, it, it sort of comes out more from that than hearing particular anecdotes from inside a, a companies and taking those an- anecdotes and putting them in a, in a show. One of the reasons I enjoy the show, uh, tells you a lot about me, is that all the characters are venal. There's no good guy in the show, and uh, it labors really hard to show you that, at least in this version of the world, that most people in these companies are are not particularly good at their jobs. Maybe they're good at some element that's made them employable, and it explains why they're there, but they're either there through accident or because they're kind of a toady. Obviously, there have to be some competent people in the Waystar Royco empire, but how much of that do you think is a reflection of the reality that you're communicating to Jesse Armstrong? How much of it is him trying to make some broader point about the world? I think I don't. I, I think it the the media companies aren't quite as bad as Waystar. I think that would be pretty um, hard to uh, you know. This is obviously fiction, and mm-hmm. and um, the siblings uh, are just a touch worse. Than we find at the media company. This is one of the few times I wish we had videos. We would see your face as you paused and gestured. Um, of course, you know, especially in these, you know, great fun industries where everyone wants to work. You know, there's a lot of nepotism, and um, I mean, I, I think as the 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 founders disappear, we might see less of that. Yeah, I was that was I was going to ask you about that. So, the the mogul world that you covered professionally for years, that's kind of on its way out, right? Sumner Redstone is dead. Rupert Murdoch doesn't have a lot of years left. Some of the other big big swashbuckling figures have have faded. They don't seem to be replaced with people of of similar I don't know, stature is the wrong word. They're just not as replaced with people who are as entertaining. Some of the tech people now, Elon, obviously, um, actually, most tech people are, are, are really boring. Um, and Elon Musk is the one outlier there. Um, what do you make of, of moguldom in, in 2023? I think once Murdoch is gone, um, it's going to be a decidedly boring landscape. I mean, thank God for Bob Iger returning. You know, he's made things a little bit more fun over at, over at Disney, although... Of course, when he first took over, everyone thought he was, you know, pretty plain vanilla compared mm-hmm. to Eisner. But I, it, you know, in terms of visionaries, I don't know. I mean, we've got a lot of good businessmen, but I don't know how many visionaries we have. I mean, I'm sure you spend a lot of time with Jesse Armstrong, maybe asking him this question, like, what, what is the the mission of the show? What beyond entertainment? Is he focused on telling us about the human condition? Is he focused on t- discussing capitalism? I, I can't imagine that he's specifically interested in in the intricacies of of how big media companies work. But you tell me. I think he, I think he's interested in the big media companies in the sense of how the family di- the dynamics within a family like that, mm-hmm. and it's the family dy- dynamics he's interested in. Yes, he's not. I don't think I'm not sure he's particularly interested in the intricacies of of the media business. Um, in particular, but the the actual family dynamics, right? And then and then, but there's that really. I mean, it's always foregrounded, right? There's this there's this connecting line between well, the family is having this kind of fight or whatever they're doing, 
And then in the real world, I mean, they don't spend a lot of time showing you the consequences of what they do in the real world. It's usually off screen, this election plot line. And I guess if you're still listening at this point, spoiler, we might talk about the episode that just aired. It's the first time you really get to see, you know, real people in the world having reactions to what what the family has wrought. And then it intercedes on the family itself. Um, but that, for the most part, that was sort of kept off screen. Is that intentional? I think that this in this season, Jesse was particularly interested in it was it was it was no mistake that he put Logan's death in episode three um, because it was an opportunity to see what the fallout from that was. Um, he didn't. I mean, the the natural place to put it would have been you know episode nine or the final mm-hmm. episode. But he wanted to put it in episode three to see the family dynamics and the fallout from that. That made it much more unexpected and much more interesting. Should it matter to people in the real world or people in the fictional succession world who runs Waystar Royko, whether it's Shiv or or Kendall or in the real world, Lachlan or James? Etc. Should that matter to a regular person in your mind? Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, I mean, a regular person. If you guess, guess what you how you define a regular person is that a shareholder or is that a no? No, we're beyond shareholder. You're, you're in the world because what the, the what the company makes right affects your life. You know, whether it's Fox News or whether it's a, a Bob's Burgers that you enjoy or both. Well, I think it does. I mean, in the Waystar situation, it it would affect the individual person because you've got Roman, who's basically, you know, you see those polit- their political allegiances come out mm-hmm. in episode eight very starkly, and you see f- for the first time probably that um, Roman, is, you know, how he is very clearly behind the right wing candidate. Shiv has obviously always been where she is, and Kendall is sort of in the middle. So actually, if Roman were to take over, yes, that would affect people quite dramatically. Um, I mean, it seems like none of them really have any real political leanings. They all just sort of care about what's happening to them in their immediate near term and and what people think of them. And in this episode, we see Shiv quite clearly say, actually, I don't care about politics at all. I want to run this company. I can dispose of this immediately. Yeah. I mean, I think they do what what they need to do to, to get in power. Um, and they position themselves to, to to get there, yes. What's the business story that you pitched, plotline that you pitched, that you love that you could not get into the show? Well, I mean, there were so many plotlines because because we researched so much, there were so many plotlines that that didn't make it. I mean, there were, actually, I, I and and so, but you know, it was good to just get get the ones we did get in actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I What's one you're proudest that you got in? Most proud of? Proudest? Proudest. Um, well, just the sort of general, you know, the the proxy battle and the fallout of the proxy battle and the settlement of the proxy battle and the details of that was quite fun. It's quite fun getting in really inside a proxy battle. <laughs> Maybe not to the average person, but it was for me. Mm-hmm. Uh and the fallout of the death of a CEO is very interesting indeed. Um, obviously, you know, there weren't that many real um, world examples where there wasn't a succession plan in place. Uh, that sort of 
you know, companies have been pushed much more to have succession plans in place. And so, um, but that was quite fun. Some of the shenanigans in the in the first season were quite fun, um, although quite technical. Some of the sort of the debt crisis and mm-hmm. that's right out of Redstone, yeah. right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, I think that that was probably one of the more complicated um, parts of the of the plot because you know people weren't aware that there was a holding company and and sort of what the ramifications of that were. Yeah. So lots of great, you know, absolutely chock-a-block full. And in fact, like each season, just chock-full with lots of different things that, you know, many companies may only face, you know, one in a lifetime. So you have a great run at the journal. It translates into this amazing opportunity to to not just work in, in Hollywood and on an amazing TV show, but work on this specific show. What do you want to do next? Do you want to, you want to go back into journalism? You want to, you want to stay in TV and movies? I am uh, think I'm working on a couple of things in television at the moment, but good. That's uh, the right answer. Oh, it is. <laughs> Stay out of journalism. It's terrible. Yeah. That's the you. You know, you guys, you have a lot of fun. You don't realize that's true. that's true. When you're in the middle of it, it's hard, but you don't realize that it is actually quite a fun profession. So I'm not saying that I won't go back into journalism. I went to an invest a great investigative conference in London last week. Um, and, uh, it was the thrill of journalism sort of got me again. So I'm not saying I'm not going to go back into journalism, but I'm pursuing some things in television, but it's hard to follow succession, honestly. Okay. Well, you got a lot of years left. I I did want to ask you what you wrote about this stuff forever. And then you went on the other side and got to, got to help make a TV show, um, a long running TV show. What? Was there one thing that really surprised you? You said, I, I've, I've talked to all these people. I know how this stuff was made. But sitting on the other side of the room, on the other side of the door, I didn't realize this. Well, I wasn't, I, I wasn't on the other side in the sense that I was inside a, you know, a media company. I was sort of more making a show, a mm-hmm. show about it. But I had, I, I had no idea what, you know, I didn't know how. A, it made me realize even though I'd written about the television industry, um, I had, I, you know, I only skated the surface of, of understanding the process of greenlighting a show, of actually making a show and what goes into a show and that role of the showrunner and how just incredibly brutal actually it is because you're doing so many things. You're creating it, you're writing it, you're you know, managing a massive team. And it is, I didn't realize how hard the showrunner's job is, actually. Um, And it was fascinating to go inside a writing room and see how the shows are brainstormed. That was was also fascinating. It is just amazing that this all comes together and you see what you see on television. It's, it's, um, it's in a you know it's it, 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 yeah that so it's a, a fascinating process. What a cool experience! This has been a cool experience for me. I again I because I I when Succession came out I thought it was made for me and like a thousand other people. I didn't realize I was sure it wasn't going to be a hit. I'm like this is made for people who listen to Recode Media, which is probably not what you build a, a network for. So, hang on. I think that's a network mogul calling me. Um, 
So I have to end this call. But um, I have been uh, very excited to speak with you for years. So thank you for doing this. Um, and I hope to talk to you about whatever your next project is. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute delight. Thanks, Marissa. Thanks again to Marissa for joining us. Thanks to Jelani and Travis for producing and editing the show. Our advertisers for bringing you this show for free. This is Recode Media. We'll see you soon. <laughs>